0: Love is blue sometimes, baby. But suddenly
1: it shines.
0: Love us say the truth.
1: Let us walk alone every night. And blessing. How's everybody doing? All right. So we're gonna get to it today. We're gonna have another discussion with an educator, Bay Area educator. Uh, a lot of the people who follow me, they know her. My near and dear good friend. We're gonna get up here and discuss what's going on and how it's impacting her service delivery. Give it a second to connect. There we go, it's coming in. There we go. <laughs> anyway. Hey, what's going on? How's it going?
0: It's going well. It's going well.
1: How you doing? Hey, I'm, I'm maintaining. I'm maintaining this crazy time. You I know, know it's, it's
0: ridiculously crazy. We,
1: we keep getting <laughs> updates. We get updates uh, every day. Sometimes twice a day. And it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's just a weird. It's weird. Like, you know, you never, you, you read about this, you see about it, see about these things in uh, movies, you see how it really impacts, like, from an entertainment perspective, but it's kind of like we're in the midst of the storm and everybody's just scrambling. So yeah. what I wanted to do today, as, as you know, I've reached out to you. I've been trying to connect with different service providers every day to uh-huh. just kind of talk about, you know, what they're going through. Uh, how their service delivery has changed, and what are some things that we can do moving forward. But before we fully get into it, just introduce yourself, tell people what you do, and uh, just to get a sense of that.
0: Okay. Um, I'm Charmaine Shuford. Um I'm a teacher at Downtown High School in San Francisco, which is an alternative learning continuation school, project-based, uh, the project that i a part of, is the theater project, so all of our curriculum comes together in a culminating performance at the end of the semester, and our students, they take acting classes to prepare for this performance, mm-hmm. and yeah, we just have like a completely different learning model. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty dope.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that is interesting, too. I know we spoke about it before, but, you know, being that you're from the East Coast, specifically Washington, D.C., how does that experience from your upbringing impact your service delivery in your new teaching environment?
0: Man, it impacts everything I do. I think I come with a very strong base in, like, who I am. Mm-hmm. Um Especially, like, what it looks like to come from a steady home place, which is, like, black folks kind of coming together. And, yes, there's little friendly competition, but it's not a doggy go, bro. It's Mm -hmm. not, like, everyone is helping the kids kind of get to the next level. It's a lot of collaborative community work. And so that, to me, is a little different here on the west coast where there's not that camaraderie amongst uh many black folks here we're very sparse um and spread out so when i go into my classroom it's different i represent a different type of black person to them um someone that has traveled someone that has like um I don't know, just a rich, like, culture when it comes to blackness and saying upward mobility. So, I mean, it's great to kind of see how the kids react to that. If anything, it gets them more interested in not only D.C. or the East Coast, but, like, HBCU life and everything that comes with it. So, it's pretty dope.
1: No, I can see that because a lot of the students I even interact with, HBCU culture is something that's just really unknown to them because I wasn't aware that you know over the West Coast is not a lot of HBCUs, if, if any. If I don't want to misquote, but I don't believe there's any HBCUs over this side, maybe one. Yeah, it's
0: interesting, I think there's right. like maybe two, one or two. but it's they're not, not predominantly black right now. They right. started okay, right? Historically black, right. but right now, okay.
1: No. And I can see that. I I just think, too, like, just to speak on the the, the topic that you brought up about, you know, not it being not a lot of Black people and the understanding of Black culture. So how does that impact your your teaching style? Like, how how do you infuse Black culture in what you do?
0: Hmm. Um, I think the way I infuse it is I maintain that spark that Black folks are known to have. (laughs) Um... (laughs) infusing a lot of my curriculum with like black Mm -hmm. uh related topics or black history or anything but the way I show up every single day is very rooted in my blackness and the love that I have for my people and so um when I teach I teach like I'm trying to reach the masses um the folks who often aren't how can I say it? The folks that are kind of left in the shadows, I like teach so that I can reach them. And I'm like, listen, like Mm -hmm. you may have had this picture of what it means to be black and what that looks like, Mm -hmm. regardless of whatever ethnicity you're a part of, but look at how I show up every day. I don't make excuses. I don't like limit myself. Like there is no um, stereotypes that I continue to wear. Mm -hmm. Um, I release those stereotypes and I look at those as glass ceilings, so mm-hmm. just the way I show up, right? Um, it represents everything
1: black. And that's, <laughs> and that's important. I, I can say that, you know, I'm, I'm new to the West Coast. You've been here for a couple of years, and I do realize the expectation of, of black people and you exerting or exuding your blackness is received differently, because I think... Social media and the media in general has painted a picture of black people. So when you're in those roles, those educator roles or those administrative roles, they it's it's hard for people to remove to remove their bias. Right. So, so have you experienced any situations or just moments where you've walked into those situations where people are projecting what they think blackness is or what you are as a black woman, a black educator?
0: Um I- been actually really fortunate Mm -hmm. um because a lot of my coworkers have embraced everything that I come with. Mm -hmm. Um and I think I've created kind of I don't know, like I don't see it as much and I think that's because I'm not as worried about it. I think for a lot Mm -hmm. of black folks they enter spaces and they kind of see, you know, who's looking at them a certain way. Um Mm -hmm. but I've just learned to like enter these spaces and not worry about that too much. Um right. and just continue being like the big essence of who I am. <laughs> right. Um, so I can I can definitely say I haven't experienced that a lot in the education mm-hmm. realm here, but I think that's primarily because of my school site.
1: Right, right. Okay, okay. And and I can't say maybe since I know you personally, it, it's kind of hard to put you in a box. Because you do have that full personality, it's like bubbly. So yeah, when people meet you, it's, it's kind of hard to like, not like you for one, but just still puts you in that box and holds you to those stereotypes. Um, also too, I want you to speak more so to like, how has travel, how has, you know, having those diverse experiences uh, impacted your service delivery as a teacher?
0: Oh, man. I mean, one, it makes me more open to other ethnicities and the struggles that they go through. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of the kids, a lot of my students come from the countries that I've traveled to, with the exception of the Philippines. Um, I haven't gotten there yet, but it's on my list. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when they talk about a lot of their cultural roots, I'm Mm -hmm. able to kind of pinpoint that to a specific country or specific custom that I've experienced for, like, a day or two a week, depending mm. on where I've went. So it's opened my eyes. It's, it's given me a lot of empathy. Oh. I think teachers should travel if they can, um, because traveling builds empathy. You meet different people. Right. You realize that your environment is not the predominant uh, environment um, that matters, right? is a world kind of effort um, creating these people. So once you travel, you're like, all right, this is why people from this region act this way, because this is a custom that they value, but it may be at the bottom of our list. right? right. Um, so just being able to spend extensive time in other countries I mean, it opens your eyes to the different
1: variety of students that you're going to have, right? No, no that's years. true. That's true. Definitely true. And I see that just from my independent travels. But I have, you know, fraternity brothers who've traveled, who've uh, went to China and had a completely different experience, and have met people, learned their stories, but also have been able to cultivate relationships that turned into partnerships, business partnerships, to really elevate not just themselves but their communities. So. You know, just just tied into that response, you said a lot of good things. I think that you know when we have this cultural diversity lens and we're looking at it through um, that perspective, it's impacting our service delivery in a way where we're just able to see people for who they are. Yeah, like be, meeting, and we had this thing where in, in in college we would say, you know, you have to meet people where where you where they are. Yeah, when it comes to therapy, when it comes to anything in life, I think that we really must see people at their basic level. Yep. Strip away I mean, all the decorative things. But well, yeah.
0: Yeah. And right, that's that's what teaching is about. Like, um the teacher actually that I came in with, like my first year of teaching, he just joined. Um mm-hmm. he taught me a lot of that. Like teaching is coming in and literally assessing where a child is and not not saying, Okay, I see where you are, but this mm-hmm. is where you must meet me it's like no like a child is coming to you with history right? right so in order to access these students you have to get to know them on a personal level you mm-hmm. have to become invested in their livelihood you have mm-hmm. to like academics often get to prioritize over the student mm-hmm. and then we become obsessed with the numbers oh, with like the grades. test scores
1: and things test like that scores, right, right,
0: right. right. Um when really that's second, right? If you don't know a child, if you don't know where they're coming from and the struggles they're going through every single day, how are you going to care about the child's test scores and everything? That's never going to actually be where you want it to be cuz you don't know what you're working with.
1: No, that's true. And I love what you just said because I love what I do as a psychologist, a school psychologist. I get to look at the data. I get to look at the numbers, the test scores, but I also get that contextual data that speaks to their home environment, that speaks to, you know, their social emotional well-being, and I conceptualize all those pieces and then we make a decision. Because a lot of times we look at learning disabilities, we look at, you know, different things that students may go through in the school setting, but we don't realize how all of that impacts test scores classroom performance and if we put all of that into perspective then we can better serve the students so my role i love speaking to teachers because i don't think they realize how our relationship has to be if you have a good relationship with the teacher you can really you know provide those resources that the teacher may need or that you know most educators may need but yeah but i definitely see your point with that i think that you know cultural diversity is very important now we do have to get to the big hot topic, the buzz topic. This coronavirus. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> with with everything that's going on with the coronavirus, um, the Bay Area closures. I think it was the first uh, place. San Francisco was the first place to actually shut things down, uh, close local mm-hmm. businesses, and then you know other states and places followed. Uh, so could you speak to how these school closures? Are impacting your teaching right now?
0: Oh my god, it's it's terrible. Like mm-hmm. I, I am personally um, kind of distraught that I'm mm-hmm. creating curriculum or I'm tasked with creating curriculum to deliver to students online mm-hmm. when I know that some of my students' home situation doesn't mm-hmm. allow for them to be in a healthy learning environment. Mm-hmm. Um, also a lot of students, black and brown students in particular, really benefit from that in-person instruction, um, because they're, how can I say it, they're, the way they grasp information is really based on the people that's delivering it to them. So if you kind of have this device in front of them, that's giving them and feeding them information. I'm not sure if that's actually going to stick and land in the way that it's supposed to. Mm. Because if kids have questions, what they which they often do, especially students with IEPs, right? Mm. They need more assistance and they need things to be they need probing questions, they need guiding questions to like get them to reach the, the answer, right? Right. Um, I'm really worried about those students that need that extra
1: assistance, um, which I feel like is about 70 to 80, maybe even higher uh, percent of my students. Wow, that's that's a large percentage. I it's
0: mean, a very large. Yeah, percentage. that's
1: a large percentage. So for me, you know, my research is in digital technology and social media when it comes to student engagement. So I actually love using technology. I love virtual teaching. But through, you know, just working on my dissertation and and getting all the data points, I realized that it's so many factors that go into being able to execute that effectively. Access. When we speak about access, a lot of times we don't understand that, yes, students may have, you know, smartphones, but that doesn't mean that they have Wi-Fi. A lot of students rely on public Wi-Fi to access certain aspects of their phone. You know, they can't use uh, Google Classroom, Google Chrome, any any of those platforms, if they don't have Wi-Fi, because some mobile plans they're pre-prepaid, yeah. and you may not be able to use all of your data just for schoolwork. So when we yeah. look at it from that aspect. That's that's just one factor. Then we have to actually have the pro- appropriate training for the teachers. A lot of times we don't have, we didn't have those trainers until last week. We've been throwing together YouTube videos, uh, documents, just to provide some type of guidance and steps. So when we have those appropriate trainings and those different resources in place, then it can be effective. Because I think we we're not realizing how socially advanced our students are. Yeah. Though they may not be able to, you know, have those resources and provide for themselves just yet, socially they're aware. They know what's going on. They know how to. Uh, navigate certain spaces, but we have to give them the tools. And I think that's the problem that I'm seeing from my role um, as an educator, as a service provider, is that we don't have the necessary tools in place and the proper training. Right now we need virtual teaching and technology use training. That, that is vital because even after this, if we look at the coronavirus and the impact that it's having and will have by the end of the crisis, we probably will be moving towards some type of distance learning curriculum or or instruction. I I don't know how. Tell me how you feel about that aspect, as in the future of teaching.
0: I'm very Mm -hmm. anti-distance learning. Um, Ooh, tell me why. Yes,
1: tell me. We can have this discussion.
0: Yes, because I value the interpersonal connections that Mm teachers make with, sorry, just that Mm -hmm. teachers are allowed to make with students, I Mm -hmm. think when you are in a classroom, you get that participatory democracy type of situation. Mm -hmm. Because digital learning and distance learning is literally um, kind of the factory model of just dumping Like content into students, right? Where is the opportunity to interact with that content? Where is the mm-hmm. opportunity to question um, each other, right? right? Not only their other student, the other students, but the teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's going to put a lot of dependency on students to just get the content and work with that, but not right. have that um, exchange that's right. necessary. It like, we need discourse. You cannot have effective discourse um, with distance learning, regardless if you're on a Zoom call or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, my student, and you also have to think about the students that have um, historically been, like, disadvantaged when it comes to education. Like, why would a student want to attend a class online Mm -hmm. when no loyalty. There's no person to actually connect with on a day-to-day basis. I think you're going to lose a lot of students that way mm-hmm. um, if we move to that model and solely depend on that
1: model. We'll right. Say. Now, I don't think we can solely depend on that model. Now, I'm glad you said that. I do think that look, fe- looking at the future, that's what it's going to go to. It's going to slowly, slowly get to the point where distance learning is a thing. Right? So, my stance is we must fully understand it so that we can properly implement it now i'm not a big fan of like the educational based technology things you know blackboard we used that when we were in college canvas we we had instructors who didn't really know how to use blackboard but they were giving us assignments they were giving us resources and things within that system and it wasn't as effective so For me, I I did my research in using social media. Now, people hate to hear social media. But kids, look at how we're socialized as a country. Uh, We used to be in a situation where if you're from this place, you only talk a certain way. You only know these social norms. But social media, it kind of bridges the gap when it comes to those social norms. So if I was a teacher, and just like you and I, I have a live, I have an Instagram account and I'm going live and I'm giving a, a lecture or a lesson on history. My students can comment in my thread. Uh, my student, I can add a student if they have a question they want to present to the class and you can structure it so that that account is specific to those students. You don't have to worry about outside people. You can restrict access and only grant access to your students. So my research showed that that is actually effective because those students who connect via social media it's really a norm for them it doesn't disrupt their day-to-day activity they're able to check what like i said uh a couple of days ago when i was uh interviewing daniel uh, he's an educator in dc now in the maryland area i'm in mean. but when the students feel connected and they have a positive relationship with their educ with their teacher then they're more inclined and more willing to learn and try things out but socially it's no disruption i can talk and then if I want to click out of the live and do something I'm not supposed to as far as looking at Shady Room, looking at other accounts, I can. Now, that is a drawback. However, it doesn't break the social, uh, social norms that these students have created and are using to learn. That, that's just my take on it. I hear that. Um,
0: so I feel differently about it because mm-hmm. I work at a continuation school, right? These students... Basically, the traditional education model hasn't worked for them. Uh Um, So, and we collect their phones. We take their phones throughout the entire day. They cannot access their phones until lunchtime Mm -hmm. and after school. Um, And we do that because, one, it's also about focus. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think kids retain as much information as they used to. Um, Mm. solely because they have a ton of distractions going on. So, I hear that, and I'm like, considering my students, I don't think that would be the Mm. best model. Um, I do see advantages Mm. to it, um, maybe for one class out of however many. But I don't think it should be solely like... The majority of their classes I don't uh, think that should ever be the option mm-hmm. now I'm curious in like what type of course did you hold online uh, mm-hmm. where that happened and like were the majority of your students invested in it the entire time mm-hmm. did you see kind of participation and engagement mm-hmm. decrease after some time
1: mm-hmm. okay exactly. I can answer those questions uh, the course that I actually used for my study was a uh, History, and as you know, I chose history because um, the site that I used was STEM school. So math, the STEMs, all the technology pieces were there. All the students had Chromebooks. All the students within the class, except for one, had a smartphone and access to Wi-Fi in the home and in the school. So I was very fortunate to have an environment that was technology enriched. But I did choose a class that you know wasn't performing high academically. It, in comparison to the two bell schedules or the two class schedules that the teacher had. Yeah. Class A, well across the board. Class B, not so much. Yeah. So I wanted to get, wanted to see whether or not, okay, if this low performing class, if we introduce this new curriculum and compare that to the curriculum, the regular curriculum that class A was receiving, how, do, how does this impact their academic outcomes? or their student engagement. So I forgot the last part of your question, but what I did find is that in the beginning, we had some drawbacks from the actual students because they assumed that the teacher wanted to spy on them on Instagram. <laughs> and that was the biggest, that was the biggest, like uh, I guess, friction we had in the beginning. But once we explained that, you know, the, the way that the Instagram account was going to be used, we started to get a lot of buy-in and we started to see we, we we actually noticed that students checked in on the lives a little bit more so out of a class i think of 15 we had in the beginning it was like six and after the first two weeks we had ten and by the end of the study we all the students were participating in the live discussions for a total of three weeks so it increased over time but we had a short window to actually do that we, we only Collected data for two marking periods. So if I had a chance to actually do that for an entire year and to continuously improve the structure and implement it with training and and all those resources, who knows? it, It could definitely have more positive outcomes.